If you have a Bible this evening, you can maybe turn to Genesis and chapter 1, which we read from together this evening. Genesis and chapter 1. And in this, the first part of the, the sixth and final day of God's works of creation, uh, we're thinking of the, the cattle or the domesticated animals, we're thinking of the creeping things, and we're thinking of the, the undomesticated animals. And, and what a, a journey it has been for us uh, through the days of creation, beginning uh, with that incredible announcement of God into the darkness of that watery mass that was moving through space, let there be light. Moving on to the formation of, of the atmosphere, which we thought of recently in our church, and I was interested to, to read a, an article in the Times uh, yesterday, uh, uh, studies that were being done for the first time on the atmosphere of Mars and how difficult it is for people uh, to hear on Mars. Two vehicles were speaking to each other and scientists were measuring the interaction between uh, these two pieces of equipment uh, and the difficulty and the delay uh, in hearing someone else uh, speak on planet Mars because of the atmosphere within that planet. But God has so created Earth that, that we can hear one another immediately uh, and easily, uh, as I'm sure you are uh, in the pew uh, this evening. And moving on uh, to the third day of the formation of the, the seas and, uh, and the dry land and how incredibly powerful and thunderous uh, that command of God was as the dry land emerged up uh, through the waters as first, Second Peter has described for us. And then the formation of the sun and the moon and the stars in their role and with their purpose. And then this morning thinking of the, the birds populating the, the, the atmosphere and the, the fish populating the sea with their intrigue and, and variety and wonder and beauty. It's all been building up and been preparing for this, this sixth day. And you don't need to be a Hebrew scholar to recognize that this is the apex of the Genesis account. That, that we aren't to get diverted and we aren't to get stuck on, on particular details, but we are to, to recognize and see that all is moving towards this sixth and final day of God's creative activity, the formation of mankind. Eight out of the 31 verses in this chapter are devoted to the sixth day. We, we see the, the incredible language that we find in, in verse number 26 Unusual language, language that we encounter for the first time, this stalling, this moment that God takes, this deliberation. Let us make man in our image. This triune unitedness and focus on this final and supreme element of the creation. Let us make man. But before we, we get to that incredible and wonderful aspect of, of God's creation, which 
we'll consider next week. We want to consider the, the first part of day six of the creation. The creation of the cattle, the livestock, the creeping things, and the beasts of the earth. And, and these, these two verses here, They address us. They address the totality of our identity. And this is the way we, we want to, to look at these verses this evening. They speak to us as, as people. And they address each level, each dimension of our being. There's something powerful and challenging and useful to say to us. They address our, our wills, and we'll think of that last. They address our emotions, and we'll, we'll think of that second. They address, first of all, our mind. And, and, and what it's asserting to our mind, to our intellects, is have assurance of creation. Have assurance of creation. I'm more and more convinced, and perhaps you are too, that Christians get creation stuck in their throat. They struggle to say it with clarity and confidence and assurance. I believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of all the earth. They waffle, they struggle, they dilute the assertion, they, they, they balk at such conviction. And this small sliver of the sixth day is reaching out to us and, and saying to our minds, our renewed minds, our enlightened minds, have the assurance of creation. Perhaps we deal with our doubts by avoiding the subject. Perhaps we, we deal with those Influences within the media and, and within the school and, and university scenes by listening and, and, and imbibing those influences and questioning and being content to live with those unresolved questions in our heart. And we, we struggle to come down on one side and say, I believe God has made the world. These verses, they're, they're reaching out to us in three ways and saying to us, have the assurance of creation. I think it reaches out to us in that phrase that we've come to be familiar with, which it uses five times in these two verses, according to their kinds. And we're understanding kinds in a, in a similar way to, to species, to, to categories within science in our time. 
the kinds, the parameters that are set down. We, we recognize change and mutation and, and evolution, but within the kinds, those parameters have, have been established so that species will be maintained and continued, and there will not be movement from fish to animal to human. This is emphasized by this repeated phrase in these two verses. I think these verses are are emphasizing that assurance that we can have in divine creation by the assertion, and it was good. And God saw that it was good. There is no room here for the survival of the fittest. There is no room here for natural selection. There is no room here for improvement on this perfect, creative work of God. He makes the creeping things. He makes the cattle, the livestock. He makes the beasts of the field. And he sees that it is good. And this phrase is reaching out to us and saying, have the assurance of divine creation. The parallelism within the Hebrew language which is emphasized is a third strand which reaches out to us. And God said, and then the phrase, and God made. And God said in verse 24, and God made in verse 25, the immediacy, the lack of delay. The long ages are are not here. There is this direct response to this almighty, powerful word of God. He speaks and it is done immediately. These verses are, are reaching out to us. They're addressing our mind tonight. And saying how the assurance of divine creation. I had a smile at a recent minister's meeting. Uh, <clears throat> a book which I recommended for, for the men to study was, was not valued highly by some of my ministerial colleagues. <clears throat> and I, I listened to them for a millisecond <laughs> because this book in the first three pages, has recommendations by outstanding reformed preachers throughout the world. And on the one hand, I I had the the, the opinion of of my friends. On the other hand, I had the, the opinions of respected authorities. And who was I to listen to? And who are you to listen to? And these verses are, are, are calling us again to God's word and to have the assurance, to have the conviction. God has created all things. But these, these verses, they, they move on to address other elements 
of our personality, other elements of our being. Sometimes we get stuck in, in this part, don't we? And we have all these arguments in, in our school, in our university, in our street, on the bus, about black holes, about fossils, about dinosaurs, about long periods of time. And, and we, get, we get snared with, with these discussions and this intellectual dueling with others who, who adopt different positions on the, the formation and, and creation of our world. But this part of day six, it's, it's wanting us to, to, to move on to, to worship and adoration and praise. It's wanting us as Psalm 104 does as it contemplates the work of God's creation. It stands back and says, How manifold are your works, O God. In wisdom, you have made them all. The psalmist surveys the the days of creation, but then he he moves on to to this element of worship. It's, It's impacting his heart. He's feeling the incredible Wonder of what God has done. Isn't this one of the words that's used for miracles within the life of Jesus and throughout the Bible? The wonders of God. And the word is used in the sense that what God has done, his mighty acts will impact us. It will make us wonder. We will open up Genesis 1 and we will be filled with wonder. He created light. He ordered the planets. He made the birds and the fish. What a God this is. It's moving us on to worship and adoration and praise. Maybe some of us struggle with that worship, not because we're rooted in intellectual argument with opponents to creation, but because we feel our sinfulness so much. And our whole focus is on the blood of Christ and his atonement for us. And our conversation and our thoughts and our Bible reading is always connected to the cross. And we've no place for the creation. And that imbalance is wrong as well. The prophets and the apostles and the psalmists are full of contemplation and adoration of God's creation. We're called to, to juggle these two balls, aren't we, of the cross and of the creation as we worship and wonder and serve our God. For the creation is full of our Savior, isn't it? John 1, all things were made by him. Colossians chapter 1, for by him all things were created. Hebrews chapter 1, through God's Son, the world was created. The New Testament finds Jesus Christ on this very page. He is there speaking, commanding, forming, making. These verses desire that not only will there be this intellectual conviction, but that there will be this incredible worship. The livestock, the creeping things, the beasts of the earth, 
the livestock, the domesticated animals, the sheep, the cows, the pigs, the oxen, the horses. And how incredible each one is. The cow with its four stomachs, able to ingest and digest and produce the milk which can feed up to, help up to 60 people a day. The sheep with their four stomachs and their incredible wool which they have to offload because it gets so heavy and it provides superior fabric to mankind. How incredible. The camels who can drink 30 gallons in 10 minutes and then go through the burning desert for two and a half weeks without taking another sip. How incredible. And as we linger, as we investigate, as we put the microscope on this single word here, livestock, we're to worship. What a God you are. How incredible he is. And creeping things in our fallen world, uh, these are a bit of a problem uh, to, to some of us. Uh, but as we investigate them again, the, this, this section here and its repetition is, is addressing our emotions and it's requiring us to worship. The bombardier beetle, which has those two chemicals within itself, which it's able to keep separate within its little body. If they were brought together, they would explode inside of it and it would, its life would be brought to an end. But it's able to use those when faced by an enemy. The ant, which is able to carry up to 50 times, imagine it, 50 times its own body weight. These guys down in the gym, if they can bench press their, their own body weight, they're, they're doing brilliantly. They ant up to 50 times its own body weight. Living an average of 47 days and working incessantly those 47 days is a wonder to behold. As we consider the creeping things of the earth, the things beneath our feet, as we study them, as we examine them, as we linger on them, we are moved to worship our God. And the beasts of the earth, the elephants with their incredible trunks, the only animal which feeds itself with its nose, the bears which hibernate for up to seven months at a time, but are able to awaken at a moment's notice, are full of wonders which baffle scientists and fill our hearts this evening with adoration and praise and worship. Every animal, livestock, creeping thing, wild beasts, indicates intelligent design. And we this evening are familiar and informed by God's word who that designer is. And we come this evening with praise 
and worship and honor unto him. The verses address our minds. The verses address our hearts. The verses address our actions, our wills. One thing it challenges us about is being a provider. It's pretty obvious to say that day six came after day three, isn't it? But what a point it is. The vegetation, the trees and bushes were made before the livestock, the creeping things and the beasts of the field. What a provider God is. The cows weren't searching around for grass, were they? The squirrels weren't looking around for nuts, were they? It had all been thought out before. Provision had been made. And when the livestock and the, and the beasts of the earth and the creeping things were brought forth, an abundant provision was already there for them. And this is our God, isn't it? God, we worship this evening, even at this very moment. Jesus says, I go to prepare a place for you, and I will come again and receive you unto myself, just as on day three God provided for what he would make. So today he continues to provide that place of rest and glory for his people, which he will bring us to when our time comes. And this section of day six is challenging us. Be a provider. It's challenging parents to provide for your children. 2 Corinthians 12 verse 14. For children are not obligated to save up for their parents. But parents for their children. Not only are parents required to guide, to steer, to direct, but to provide and prepare for their children. But the flip side is also instituted in the New Testament. 1 Timothy 5 verse 8 in addressing the needs of of widows within the church, the apostle he asserts that the family should provide, first of all, for the needs of their family. If anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially for members of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. As we think of this sixth day, we're challenged this evening to be a provider. Needs will come, issues will arise, things are down the road there and we need like God to prepare for those eventualities to be a provider. Children, any of you going to a a new school in September? Any of you thinking of going to university? Some of you are moving into a, a new job. What a God this is. He goes before us. He thinks out the future. 
and he'll prepare your way for you. A second challenge to us is take time to appreciate beauty. Yes, God will come to the creation of woman and man in day six. This will be the end and the climax and the height of his creative work, but he lingers for five days and a bit on the beauty and majesty and glory of creation. And what a, what a challenge to us. Sometimes we can't get beyond ourselves and our aspirations and our hopes and our successes. And we're cocooned in this little sphere of self, of our ego. These verses are, are challenging us that there's a, a vast world out there for Christians to explore. And we should use the National Geographic and the Attenborough films. We'll not come to the same conclusions as those unbelieving scientists come to, but the the details, the research, the analysis we can utilize in deepening our appreciation of God and seeing beyond ourselves the wonders of his world and the glory of the works of his hands. Some of you are devotees of of John Owen. And he counseled those in his days to to utilize and develop and refine the scholarship of of those who who engaged with, with studies outside of the scriptures. And he described it as plundering the Philistines. He referred to David in the city of Ziklag, when he would go out from his city and sallies into the land of the the Philistines and and, and develop his wealth and, and influence through plundering the Philistines. And you and I are being challenged to to look beyond ourselves into this vast world of the planets and of the birds and the fish and the creeping things. And find the works of God most wonderful. And lastly, these verses challenge us, us, challenge us to see, to see our Savior. One of the, the striking connections to these two verses is the last moments. Of Jesus' life. It's incredible to, to think that, that as he hung on the cross, his mind was directed to these two verses. As he bore our sin, as he atoned for our transgression, he was thinking of the creeping things of the beasts of the earth, of the livestock. You remember in Psalm 22, he describes himself as a worm and no man. 
Yes, we'll come to the glories of humanity in our studies, but Jesus is is not in there. He says, I'm not a man. I'm in verses 24 and 25. I'm a worm, downtrodden, crushed, humiliated. You remember he says in that same psalm, the dogs have compassed me. The domesticated animals, now aggressive, now oppositional, they've compassed me. You remember in that psalm he says, deliver me from the lion's mouth, the powerful, the influential, the kings, the rulers, the potentates of its time, oppositional to him. The livestock, the creeping things, the beasts of the earth. Were in his mind as he took our sin and stood in our place. Have you had guests today? Maybe you're having guests this week, and you will plan, you will think out everything, and you will prepare well. You will have those glasses all in a row. You will have the cutlery shining and the table mats square and the the finest tablecloth that you can wash and iron. The chairs will be set in their precise precision and everything will be prepared for the entrance of the special guest. And that's where we are now. The light is made. The planets are revolving. The birds are flying. The fish are swimming. The cattle are moving on the earth already. For God to make man and woman in his image.